We're going to be in Matthew this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles over here. If you didn't bring one this morning, you're welcome to grab one of those. Um, if you need one, uh, take it home. Uh, we're glad uh, to do that. We're in Matthew chapter 19. Um, it's ironic. While the ladies are gone, we're going to talk about marriage for the most part. They're, they're going to they're gonna also watch online, I think, or catch up later. Maybe it's just a lot of the guys need to really uh, tune in about what faithfulness is. But let's dig in. Um, chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished, saying, uh, finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. God, thank you for your word. In it is a treasure. Because in it we, we come to know you. We come to know your creation, we come to know what your purpose is in things like marriage and in things uh, like humanity and people. Lord, in things concerning, your, concerning yourself, God, to know you. You can find that out in your word. So, Lord, I just pray that you open our eyes to what's in your word, open our hearts to receive it, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So starting out in verse 1, um, now when Jesus had finished these sayings, everything that we covered the last few weeks in chapter 18, um, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. So they're heading south, continuing south, and they're going to be on the east side of the Jordan. Technically, that's not what we'd consider Judea. But it was included in what Herod the Great was given to, to rule over. And so at that time, it was also referred to as Judea. But Jesus headed south. He's on his way where? Ultimately to Jerusalem, right? That's, that's the direction Jesus is headed. Um, and so in large crowds followed him. Um, people are excited still about him. The area he was going to was largely Jewish, and he healed them there. So he's continuing to heal, even as he's headed ultimately towards the cross in Jerusalem. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Why are they there? They're there to test him. Just like they have in every other situation, they're using... A, a question that has an argument behind it. They're trying to draw him into an argument. It's an argument that they have, right? They're trying to get him to say something or, or to, to, to concede to something that goes against the law, to find fault with Jesus. And there is a debate. There was two major views from different rabbis teaching at that time uh, interpreting the law concerning divorce, right? And... And uh, one, uh, the rabbi 
Shammai, I think is how you say his name. Um, he, he interpreted it as only sexual immorality was grounds for divorce, right? And then, and then Hillel, another rabbi that was a major way of thinking, followers of Hillel, believed really anything. You know, you didn't like your dinner that she cooked. Well, that's grounds for divorce, right? Anything you didn't like, anything could be a reason for divorce. And so there's this debate, and they're asking Jesus, with the purpose of tricking him, causing him to say something against the law, they ask him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, right? That any cause is drawing it out. Let's look real quick. Deuteronomy um, chapter 24, the first verse, um, we can see what the... What, what they're arguing over when a man takes a wife and marries her if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and that would be the term that they're arguing over what does that mean right and he writes her a certificate of divorce now notice there's no commandment yet this is still drawing a scenario and, and they're, later they're going to say, well, didn't he command them to give her a certificate? No, there's no commandment here. There's an allowance that there's a situation. And, but really where the commandment falls is later on, uh, the situation is there's a divorce, and then she goes and marries another, and then that person, it says, hates her and, and then divorces her. The commandment is she is not to go back to the first husband because that is an abomination to the Lord. That's the commandment. But they're not looking at that. They're looking at this, this thing here. Has found some indecency in her. That's their argument. And they're trying to trick Jesus with it. Well, what does Jesus say? He doesn't even address that, right? He goes back to the beginning. He answered them, verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said... Now he's going to quote from Genesis. He's going back to the beginning. And something to note here, he's quoting Genesis and who is he saying is speaking in Genesis? the one who created them from the beginning. Here's another, just, if, if someone says the Bible doesn't say that God spoke or that God's word is really God's word, here's Jesus saying, no, Genesis, even though I believe it was written by Moses, it is the word of God speaking, right? The one who created them from the beginning, making them male and female, said... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Has nothing to do with divorce in, that, in, in his answer is going, look what was at the beginning. Jesus is going back before the fall, before sin ever entered. Did you realize marriage was created before sin ever entered the world? Marriage was created in a context where everything God declared as good. Everything was perfect and pure. That is the context that God created marriage in. In a place without sin. In a place where divorce didn't exist. That, the concept of divorce didn't even exist. Unfaithfulness didn't exist. Sexual immorality was not a thing. Adultery was not a thing. You would not like have people falling in and out of love. That wasn't even a concept. The, the, our concepts today didn't exist back. That's, the, that's where marriage was created. Before the fall. What is the fall? Uh, 
That's when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Our ancestors, you know, they're our ancestors. You've got to think, understand what we're talking about here. Our great, 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 greats to a lot of greats ultimately get us back to Adam and Eve. That, we're related to them. They sinned in the garden. That's what's called the fall. Genesis 3.16 um, shows us a result of the fall. This is in the... So after the fall, God pronounces judgment on the woman, on the snake, and, and on the man, right? And in the context of His judgment on the woman... The relationship that is there between the man and the woman, between the husband and the wife, falls under this category of curse, right? It's part of what's broken by the fall. And here we see uh, within Genesis 3.16, your desire, speaking to the woman, shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. And, and understand what it's talking about there. From the beginning, how did God create man and woman? He created Adam, and then he said, it's not good for, for man to be alone. I'm going to create a helper for him that is fit for him, right? That's going to be together with him a helper. And Adam, as one who is given responsibility and leadership, is going to have an, a helper equal with him, who can help him, who is fit for him. And then what happens? And, and, and it's amazing what God has created, and we have lost that. But there's a, there's a corruption to that that breaks down the value of both man and woman, that, that puts enmity between them. And, and two things happen. First, she's no longer wanting to be the helper, right? It is natural in the sin nature for the woman in a marriage relationship to want to take over to want to jump in and lead, to be the one to say, no, you're getting it wrong, because often the guys do get it wrong, right? But, th but to take that, and, th and that's to realize that's part of the brokenness of the fall, part of the curse, that the wife, rather than enjoying exactly what God has created her for, is going to have a desire within her, within the flesh, that is contrary to her husband, to take the place of her husband, to take that role. And then what is it for the guy? To rule. That's not God's design, to rule over the marriage, to dominate, right? And so two things that we see in history are, are both or one of these being exaggerated within the context. When Jesus' context the, the man ruling over the woman was, was more of what was prominent there, right? Women were a lower class citizen. Not an equal helper in marriage. They were seen as someone who could just be expended in a marriage, right? It's like, for any reason, she messed up my dinner, right? That's part of the fall. That's part of the corruption of this relationship that happened in the fall. And so as we consider marriage, as we consider Jesus' response to the Pharisees, we need to realize we're not just living within the context of the fall from, from the glory of what was in the Garden of Eden, but marriage, the institution of marriage also has fallen. That's our first point. If you've got the notes and you're following in, filling in the blanks, marriage has fallen. Realize that. That's right there in the curse due to our sin. So then the Bible, as it's dealing with issues of sin, a major topic in the Bible is sexual sin, right? Immorality comes up over and over again. Promiscuity, sensuality, right? Uh, but, but those things, as we're looking at them, you need to realize those come from something that originally was good and perfect and part of what God had created built into marriage. But, but since the fall, marriage has been corrupted, right? Marriage has fallen and um, marriage... <laughs> 
When we look at marriage, it's, it's this agreement, right? That can easily be broken. You might even consider it a contract. Some people do prenuptial agreements, right? It's, it's a contract. And, and really, there's a lot of ways to get out of it. If you're not happy with it anymore, then that's, that's contracts. Contracts can be broken. And then you go into them thinking of the ways that they can be broken. Well, marriage in the Bible is not a contract. It's a covenant, right? There's a, a difference. Covenant, you don't go into a covenant with any expectation of breaking it. You don't go into a covenant with, with well, only if this person will do all of these things for me, then, then, no, it's, I am committing myself to this, right? That's a, that's a covenant, the way it's described. Anybody uh, hear of the Ark of the Covenant? It's been in movies, Right? The Ark of, of the Covenant symbolized the covenant that God made with Israel. Um, it was placed in the Holy of Holies, in the most holy place in their temple. Um, it's, it's this wooden box is just it's covered in gold. And within it was the, the, Ten Command, it was the law, right? And, and the tablets, the Ten Commandments. It, it, in it was what represented the terms of the covenant God had made with them. And if you want to boil it all down, that covenant was that God was to be their God and none other. A devotion to God and He was going to be devoted to them as His people. And how does it describe their breaking of the covenant? You adulterous people, their hearts would go after other gods. It was adultery. Breaking of that covenant was broken by adultery. Well, what if there was an ark? I'm just picturing. There isn't one. But if there was an ark that symbolized the covenant of marriage, well, that, that would be before the fall. See, the ark of the covenant with Israelites, that, that was created in the context of fallen men, in the context of sin. But if, if there was an ark, it would have been created to symbolize marriage. It, it, it would have been this treasure box within the context of a perfect creation. And I just imagine it, it would be absolutely covered in gold. Brilliant. Probably, uh, you could barely look at it, how bright it would be. Pure and good. And, and within it would not be law or, or any of those things that were necessary because of sin, but, but it would just be the blessings and the joy that God placed within marriage. It, it, if I just picture white linens, the way that God pictures righteousness, right? That are so bright you can barely look at them. And, and, and representing all of the joys of marriage. See, those things that, that we look at that are, that are uh, sensual, and it, those go back to what was good. The attraction of husband and wife to each other. Those are good things God created. And every, appealing to every sense, right? And it, Physical, emotional, hearing, taste, smell, everything that, that, that involves two people attracted to one another. Two people becoming one together. There's this beautiful, amazing, pure thing that, that's within this thing that is marriage that God created. It's amazing. Even the nuances of 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 conversation and attraction, uh, of, of just being fascinated with a person. That all of those things go back to what God created that Adam and Eve enjoyed fully. When He said two became one, it's with all of the gifts of marriage that God packed into that. If that's what we would see marriage as, it's beautiful and pure and good, full of treasure. Well, what is it today? When sin entered the world, that treasure that is marriage was torn apart. The, the lid ripped off, right? And, and hands stained with the guilt of sin, black with soot, digging into those linens 
and tearing them apart and, and throwing them out into the public, right? At everywhere we go. It's been that way throughout the history of the world, but now where do we see it? it everywhere. You, you go on Facebook. How, how many things have to do with sensuality, of attraction between man and woman, of, of even just the flirtatious notion of, of attracting uh, someone else, right? Those things have been distorted and twisted and just thrown out everywhere. If you just go and, and meet with people in a public place, you see it happening around you. It's, it's just the, those linens are torn. They're dirty. They're, they're, it's everything that God put into marriage is beautiful has been spread out throughout the world and distorted. Do you realize what's happened? The fallen state that we're in. Sensuality. Just put out there. Can you turn on your television? Every commercial has it. Every show has it. Every nuance, right? What's not said contains it. What's said is, it contains it, right? Everything that, that we just take, it, it's just part of life, right? You go hang out with somebody. People go hang out at, at a bar somewhere. Half the reason to hang out at a bar is to get to know people, Right? And, what's, and, and, and we don't think anything of it. But all of that, God designed as part of the blessing of marriage and what's left. Even physical intimacy has been torn out, distorted, dirtied. What's left is a remnant a shadow of the glory of what God created that is marriage. That brilliant vessel. You can barely tell there's even gold gilding around it anymore. And what's in it? When everything that was in it has been spread to the public. Where's the sanctity of those things? Do you see the irony the Pharisees are going up to Jesus, who was there at the beginning, through whom all things were created, who was part of putting together the first man and woman and blessing them with all of the blessings of marriage and asking Jesus, when is it okay to divorce? You see the irony of that? Jesus says, go back to the beginning. You're completely missing it. And so they're confused. Because what he said was, what God has put together, don't let man separate. That doesn't include divorce in that picture. So what do they say? Why? Verse 7. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now you already know. We looked at the passage. God didn't command uh, the man to give her. It, it, there's an allowance there, but there is no command on giving a certificate of divorce. So he answers them in verse 8, because of your hardness of heart, your fallen state, your brokenness, because the state that you're in, because marriage has been torn apart and you don't even get the glory of what it was designed for, Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed, didn't command, allowed, he's correcting them there, he allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. It's not how God created it. It's not what God wanted marriage to be. And I say to you, he's going to answer their question. Is it from the one rabbi or from the other, right? I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. This morning we're going to look at what is marriage. 
not according to me, not according to our culture, but what is marriage according to God? And here's the first thing. Marriage according to God is a covenant between a man and a woman. It's a covenant between a man and a woman. What a, the very first thing, Jesus, Jesus goes back to the very beginning and said, um, have you not read, verse 4, he who created them from the beginning made them what? Male and female. It's God's creation. That is what marriage is about. This is about a man and a woman. And, and the beauty of marriage, I love marriage. I'm amazed at God's design of marriage. I, I love being married to my wife. It is a shadow of the glory of what God originally created. Right? We struggle with the curse. I'm not trying to be like the ultimate man. What Jesus defines the ultimate man. Adam was not the ultimate man. Right? He sat there while his wife took from the tree, right? It, it, he's not a good man. When we individually, as man and wife, are submitting ourselves to the Lord and, and, and obeying Him, what happens is we start to f fall into the role of, of how He created a man to be and how He created a woman to be. And the more we submit to Him, the more... That starts, instead of the flesh and sin defining who we are, Christ, who designed us from the beginning, begins to redefine that into the original design of a man and a woman. And when you have a man being a man and a woman being a woman, and that starts to happen within a marriage, there is something incredible and beautiful that happens we start to begin to experience again what God created originally. Men be men, women be women. There's a new couple of books that, get, that, that cover that. Learn what it is to be a man. Not like the old man, Adam, but like the new man, Jesus. Learn what it is to be a woman. Where, where can you find an example of a perfect helper in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is the helper. Perfectly fit. Is the Holy Spirit any less a person than Jesus? No, absolutely not. There, there, there's equal value. There, there's no greater value statement to man and wife than what Genesis gives. Man and wife together made in the image of of God. There's nothing greater than that. What we have now destroys the picture of who a man is, who a woman is, and, and everything built into marriage now has been distorted and twisted to where you would, you would even have attraction that's not even uh, this to the same sex, right? You see how that, that's just a distortion. That's the flesh. And, and it's natural for the flesh to want to distort and to corrupt all of the things of marriage. You realize, oh, well, that's not me. Well, we're corrupting every other part of marriage. It, 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 maybe you have an attraction for the opposite sex. That's good, but how much do we fall into the sin of sensuality and attraction and all the things that belong in marriage, emotionally, physically, outside of? what is supposed to be within the sanctity of marriage. See, we're, we've all distorted it. We've all corrupted it. But marriage as God designed it is between a man and a woman with a man and woman fully living and understanding who they are as God designed them to be. And the verse 5, Jesus continues, uh, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two 
but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This is covenant talk. This is putting together something. There's not just two people involved here. There's three people. A man, a wife, and God as witness. Who's joining them together? God, right? This is, this is covenant. It's not a contract that can be broken. This is two people joining together in covenant marriage. Uh, at the end of the Old Testament, prophet Malachi is just uh, admonishing Israel. They've, they're breaking covenants, right? And, and prophet Malachi, um, he says, you're, you're, you're pouring tears over the altar and, and groaning because God is no longer accepting your sacrifices. He's no longer accepting your offerings with favor. Why is it? Now look in Malachi chapter 2 in verse 14. But you say, why does he not? Why does he not accept our offerings anymore? Why does he not see us with favor? Because the Lord was witness between you and your wife and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. That's how God sees marriage. He's the witness. It's a covenant. It's not a contract. Two becoming one flesh. What God has joined together. Leaving father and mother to be joined together. The most significant part possibly of marriage, a physical Union is the part that has, and is, is probably the most significant part that has been torn from the sanctity of marriage. Right? That has been distorted. What's the perception in the world? Physical union? That's not marriage, it's not significant. To God, it's within the process of covenant making. No, it's not real unless it's in the church. It's not real unless you really mean it. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's chapter 6 verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Hey, when, you, when you put your faith in Christ, you are joined to the body of Christ, spiritually joined. It's a real thing that happens. There's a covenant relationship between you and Christ that begins. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. I mean, a prostitute would be the, the perfect example of it doesn't mean anything, Right? This is not commitment. This is not marriage covenant. But, but it's the same language, being joined to. This is covenant action. Look at the next verse. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes what? One body with her. For it is written, he goes back to the same verse. The two will become one flesh. There is a lot of significance to that in God's mind, right? Look at verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You see, when in God's design of marriage, that joining, it's not just a, a meaningless physical act. It's covenant. It's it's physical, it's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual. It's before God, and it is considered God joining. Right? God is an actor there. He's a witness. He's recognizing it. Say, well, what if it's not in a church? You realize marriages didn't happen in churches for the first thousand years of the church? Marriage at that time, it was a family event. It's what we see in the Bible. 
leaving father and mother and being joined to your wife. It's a family event throughout Scripture. The families would, in, in Jewish culture, the, the big event was that there would be betrothal ahead of time like Mary and Joseph, right? And then the man would go and he'd prepare their home, prepare their place. And I love it because there's a picture of Christ in that. And then at a time that, that the wife would not know, right? There's a great picture of that. Within, at a time that, not, that we don't know, Christ is going to return for His church. Well, at a time that was unknown, the groom would travel and go pick up his wife. And there would be a whole procession and a whole... But it was all the family, right? It was family and friends, but it was put on by the families. And they'd feast for a week. We're going to feast for a thousand years and our wedding ceremony with Christ. But you would feast for a week, and, but all of that was within the family. It wasn't until the Catholic Church, well over a thousand years later, decided to make it um, a sacrament, right? That then you started having this progression of, oh, well, we should invite the pastor to come bless our wedding, or, or oh, maybe we should, we should have the ceremony in front of the church or close to the church, and then finally... It's in the church, and I don't want to diminish whatever culture we're in. doesn't matter where in the world. If you are going to enter into covenant marriage, do the things that your culture recognizes as, that, as, as showing that commitment. You go different places in the world, that looks much different. But have ceremony, have something to show, yes, this is a commitment, but how does God see it? In God's eyes, physical union is significant. That's the second point, if I didn't put it up there already. Physical union is significant. It's part of the covenant making. And whether your heart's there or not, God sees it as important. Our world has torn that out of the treasure box that is marriage and just spread it throughout the public, throughout. It's... It is something beautiful. It's part of consummating a marriage. And so what are we doing when we have physical union without the heart commitment? It's, it's consummating without commitment, right? It's, it's signing the marriage covenant before God and trying to say, well, I don't mean it. That's what it is. If I was to go down to the car dealership today, and pretend like I wanted to buy a car and go through all the things and finally sign all the paperwork. Yes, I'm going to pay for it, all of that. All right, you ready to drive it off the lot? Nah, I didn't really mean it. What are they going to say? Dwayne, what are they going to do? You've dealt with it, right? It, you signed it. You've entered the contract. And that's just the contract. God sees it as entering into a covenant. But we live in a fallen world with a fallen concept of marriage and we are destroying it. That's the situation we're in. And Jesus took it to a whole new level. He said, even if mentally you lust, you're entering into what is the things that are of marriage, right? He says, that, that already you, you have broken the covenant <laughs> mentally. In your mind, in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Before God, He sees adultery in your heart. So you see, it helps when we see the significance of physical union to God. It helps us to understand His response in divorce. What is Jesus saying there? And if you study everything having to do with divorce in the Bible, it makes absolute sense because physical union is the means to signing the covenant, right? And so when that is broken by adultery, which is 
outside of marriage now. That's the, the adulterous hearts of Israel going after another God, the adulterous husband or wife, mentally or physically. You're breaking the covenant. It's as simple as that. And it's adultery. And so, what if, what if there isn't adultery? And I say, no, I'm going to divorce you and send you away. And then you go and marry someone else. Well, there's adultery there. Why? Because it's the breaking of the covenant. It's just the way God sees it. He doesn't get into our little details of, oh, well, I wrote this. And this. No. Entered into physically, physical union. And when you break that with physical union with another, the covenant's broken. And so he says, well, if the other person has broken that, it's a broken covenant. You're not breaking it if you go marry another. Because it's already broken. You're already going to feel the tearing apart. We, so much of our souls... Our spirits are just torn apart because of even mentally exercising adultery. Because it is a spiritual union. It is something real that God has created. And, and we live in the brokenness of sin. And it tears us apart. And, and even though you might say, well, he's the adulterer or he, she's the adulterer, you're both torn apart by it. You see how God views it. What's physically joined is broken by physical betrayal, by adultery. It's as simple as that. And here's the third thing I don't want us to miss in God's view of marriage that has also been distorted in our world is that marriage is integral to family. That's God's plan. Marriage is integral to family. See, it's right there. It's to leave father and mother to be joined to wife. It's, it's starting a new family. Kids are to... God's design is that kids will be raised within the context of covenant marriage. And when you break the family, when you break the marriage apart, you break the family apart. They're inseparable. And as, as we've destroyed marriage, we've destroyed family. Like every person in this world can, can see how they have been affected somehow by the breakdown of marriage. Maybe you haven't gone through divorce yourself, but I don't know that I've met anyone who hasn't somehow by a close relative or somebody close to them in their own parents possibly even been affected by divorce. It affects the family. It hurts. It's a brokenness that's real. God's plan for the family is inseparable from His plan for marriage. If you want to have a healthy family, don't pretend that you can do it apart from a healthy marriage. Well, this has been very negative this morning. Because we live in the brokenness of sin. And as much as I love my marriage and, and I enjoy my marriage, I realize that it's only a, a taste of what God originally designed marriage to be. There's one last point here. We need to not miss. The glory of marriage returns with Christ. Thank you, God. The glory of marriage returns with Christ. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5. We could do a whole sermon on this concept, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna touch on it real quick.
Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. He's quoting. We recognize this? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Paul, writing to the Ephesians, then says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. From the very beginning, before sin ever entered the world, God designed marriage not only as this beautiful, amazing, incredible, bright, and glorious thing between a husband and a wife, but it was to be a picture of something even greater. It was to point towards something greater. It was to be a type of something that would be greater. And what that is, is the relationship between Christ and His church. Christ pictured as the groom, as the husband, and His church pictured as the wife. All of the glories of marriage, the fine white linens of righteousness, of of enjoying to the fullest extent another person, is a picture of the joy that we have as a church with Christ. And so, so with Christ, a couple of things happen. So what, what did Christ bring for sin? Because we, we already talked a lot about that, the last chapter. That covenant, that Ark of the Covenant that Israel had in their, their holiest place, on top of it was a mercy seat. <laughs> it pictured Christ pictured the atonement of Christ because they couldn't keep that covenant with God. But once a year, the high priest would go in there, make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus is the ultimate atonement for our sins. Atop this mangled, tattered, destroyed covenant of marriage, the mercy of God has come through the person of Jesus Christ. And and so when two people in a marriage confess Christ as Lord, then the mercy of God and the forgiveness of sin comes over that marriage and we begin to have healing and restoration into what is the institution of marriage between husband and wife and we begin to experience and the more we submit to Christ and allow Him to direct us, Him to be in our marriage, not just Lord of us individually, but Lord of our marriage, we start to enjoy the blessings and the glory of marriage again. Praise God for what what He has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. The mercy mercy seat of Christ lays atop the covenant of marriage this morning, but that is still just a remnant of what it was and still points towards something much greater. The covenant that we have today is, is a temporary covenant with husband and wife that's broken by death, but there is an eternal covenant that will never be broken that we have with Jesus that we look forward to and even now enjoy in fellowship with Jesus. What we sang about with fellowship sweet, we will sit at His feet, right? There's a fellowship with Christ that transcends even the best that marriage ever was. And so when we get the last part, and try to wrap up here, I'm running long, I'm sorry. Verse 10, back in Matthew, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, that a man would have to be so committed to his wife, right? To never have any cause to divorce her, but what God has put together, let not man separate. They say, if that's the case, and just realize these disciples are mostly teenagers, right? Growing up in a culture that sees, oh, you can just divorce your wife for whatever reason. If she's not pleasing to you, just move on, right? That's the culture that they're in. They said... It's better not to even marry. Who would want to be tied to a wife like that? Kids. Completely missing the glory of what marriage is. But then Jesus' response is surprising. Does he say, no, marriage is great? No, his response is, what, Jesus, what are you saying? He says, not everyone can receive this saying. What what saying? The saying that it's better not to marry. What, Jesus, you're agreeing? 
Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. So there is a truth to it, but only a few people will be able to get this, right? And then he talks about eunuchs. I almost, I, I almost had the sermon title, Marriage and Eunuchs, but that was going to be too awkward. He, he says there's three ways that you could have a eunuch, right? Two of them they already know about. There are eunuchs who have been born that way, right? They've been so from, from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. That, that happened, right? That you'd have especially... Uh, Men who are attendants to the queen, right? They'd be made eunuchs. Um, that was what happened back then. The Ethiopian eunuch was probably one of those. And then there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs. This is not a physical thing. This is a decision. Paul gets into this later. Those who say, no, I am going to be fully devoted to the Lord only. Those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Is Jesus saying people shouldn't marry? No. He says, ultimately, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. If God has put that within you to say, my husband is Christ. The one I'm married to is Christ. You have traded something good for something better. Because ultimately, we all will enjoy the fullness of marriage in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says, a man, it's a good thing for a man to not be married because he's fully devoted to the Lord. A man who's married is first devoted to his wife. It's, it's right, it's good. But that takes away from devotion to the Lord. So there is a greater marriage than is our marriage with Christ. So the glory of marriage returns with Christ upon our current marriages, but points us to the future marriage also that we will have with Him. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. I consider your design of marriage from the beginning. Lord, it's sad to realize how the sanctity of marriage, those things that are pure and good and right, have been so distorted. Marriage itself blasphemed. The obscene things that have been done with those things that you created as good and pure. And that's the world that we live in. God, I just pray that, that you restore us to purity. Restore us to holiness. Lord, let the marriages within our church be, be holy, set apart. Lord, that sanctity would be brought back. Lord, that the joys of marriage, the joys that you designed to be within marriage, Lord, that that, that would again be experienced. Devotion, total devotion, total trust. God, you said in the beginning they were naked and not ashamed, and we don't even know what that means because we are so filled with shame and hiding even from each other within our marriages. Lord, for those who have a path of devotion to you, God, Lord, I pray that you just bring about an intimacy and glory even now that they would, they would experience, our brothers and sisters would experience a great taste of what it's going to be like in fellowship with you, Lord Jesus, even now at this time. The greater marriage can't imagine what that's going to be like. Fullness of joy. Fully satisfied in you, Lord Jesus. Radiance. Abundant radiance beyond what we can imagine. All in you. On this side of heaven, God, it's hard to imagine. But we believe it. We look forward to it. Even though we can't see you, Lord Jesus, we love you. We trust you. And we look forward to the day when we get to spend eternity with you. It's your name, in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus.
Let's stand. Let's sing. I'll greet the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the the darkness your love and kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my could fathom such boundless grace. The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken and I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever jesus christ my living hope oh hallelujah praise the one who set me free Death has lost his grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost his grip on me. Broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your buried body began to silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on then came the morning and sealed the promise your buried body
living hope. And you know what that means? Because as we go through something like this, we're going, oh my goodness, we've broken it. How, how do we get out of this? I, I, there's so many situations we find ourselves in in this world where there is divorce. There's, there's multiple divorces. There's, there's even just a confusion of, of man and woman and what that is that at any point, no matter how broken, Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins so that we could be made new. Is there, is there a person in your life right now? Commit yourself to them. It, it, it gets really messy when you have things like polygamy. You know, they, well, what do you do then? It's the restoration that's in Jesus Christ. Perhaps commit yourself to the first wife, right? I don't think we have any polygamists here. But what do you do? Commit yourself to the first wife. Let the church take care of all of the others, right? It's do what you can in Christ, but in Christ there is hope, and you can be restored, and you can have the blessing that God designed from the beginning as you begin to have restoration in Jesus Christ. Be restored in Him. No matter where you're at, know that there's hope in Jesus Christ. And if God is leading you to just be devoted to Him only, if you're already devoted to somebody, don't break that. (laughs) But to be devoted to Him only is an even greater thing. You will be blessed for it. We have such an amazing hope in Jesus Christ. Don't miss sight of that. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.